My name is Volker Kruger from Van Ferdenhofi Attorneys, and I have Alicia Kuzak here with me today. Thanks for joining us, Alicia. Hi, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I asked uh, Alicia to have a look at a recent court case dealing with a suretyship clause, and the question there was whether the relevant surety can be held liable or whether he might have been misled into signing uh, that suretyship clause and binding himself as surety. Now, before we ask Alicia to talk to us about the facts and the decision of the court and the lessons that can be learned, maybe I can, just for the sake of the listeners, remind them of what a suretyship is. Now, in principle, if someone signs surety on behalf of another person in favor of the creditor, then uh, the surety actually binds himself as surety, which means that he will be held liable if the main debtor fails to pay. So, for example, you borrow money from the bank in the name of your company or your trust. The bank would typically require that you sign a suretyship, which uh, means that if, for example, your company fails to pay the debt back to the bank, then uh, the bank cannot only sue the company, but can also hold you personally liable because you signed the suretyship. Now, in terms of formalities, uh, please note that a suretyship agreement must be in writing and signed by the surety as such. Otherwise, it's not valid. So an oral undertaking to be bound as a surety is not um, valid and cannot be enforced by the creditor. But yeah, let's uh, get right into this uh, court case, uh, Cheaper and another against uh, Rustia Feed PTY Limited. Um, Alicia, uh, the facts, what did the court have to uh, deal with? So just a bit of background to the matter. Um, in this case, it is a Supreme Court of Appeal case. Um, the first applicant in this matter was the director of a business known as Bonolo Farms. And the second applicant was his wife to whom he was married in community of property. This becomes slightly relevant at a later stage because it is important to note that in terms of the Matrimonial Property Act, when a spouse is married in community of property, they cannot bound themselves, bind themselves as surety without the written consent of the other spouse. So what essentially happened is Bonolo Farms, being represented by the first applicant, entered into a credit agreement with the respondent, who is Rastia Feed. So this agreement was very short. It was only two pages long, but it did contain a suretyship clause in terms where of the signatories bound themselves as sureties and co-principal debtors for the debt of Bonolo Farms in terms of the agreement. So... Before concluding the agreement, the respondent or representative of the respondent gave the agreement to the first applicant. He took it home, he completed it, he signed it, and then he brought it back to the applicant a few days later, approximately two or three days later. Um, they then informed him that they would require his spouse, because of the marital regime, to also sign the agreement. So the agreement was given back to the applicant, he took it home, his wife signed the agreement, and again a few days later, they gave it back to the respondent. 
The respondent then performed in terms of the agreement and rendered uh, the services that they agreed to render, but Bonolo Farms failed to pay them. So when Bonolo Farms failed to pay the respondent, um, Rastia Feed instituted action against Bonolo Farms and then obtained judgment. But notwithstanding the judgment, Bonolo Farms still failed to pay the outstanding amount. So for that reason, the respondent then instituted action against the applicants as sureties for the um, debts of Bonola Farms. And it was at this stage that the applicants actually argued that they had been misled as to the nature of the agreement by the respondent um, because they had not been aware and nor had they been made aware of the suretyship clause in the agreement. And then further, that if they had been aware of the suretyship clause, they would not have signed it. Um, a further argument that was raised by the applicants is that they merely intended to sign the agreement as a representative of Bonola Farms and not in their personal capacity. So essentially, there were two issues to be considered. In what capacity did the applicants sign the agreement? And secondly, um, whether uh, they had been misled as to the nature of the agreement. So when considering the capacity in which the applicants had signed the agreement, the court referred to the fact that where a person signs an agreement in a representative capacity, they can nevertheless um, expressly undertake some form of personal liability. So, for example, where I sign an agreement on behalf of a company, there can be a clause in that agreement which um, provides that I will have some personal liability such as a suretyship in terms of the agreement. The court then also referred to the fact that where a signature comes at the end of an agreement, the signature will apply to everything throughout the contract. Um, this is also known as the caveat uh, subscriptor rule, which basically provides that where a person signs a contract, that signature signifies their acceptance of the content of the document, regardless of whether or not they have read and understood the content of the document. So ultimately, the court concluded that by signing this agreement, the applicants had concluded two agreements, one being the credit application or the credit agreement and the other being the suretyship agreement. The court also remarked that to find that the applicants had bound themselves to this agreement or that they had not bound themselves as surety uh, to the agreement would be to elevate form over substance. Um, the next question to be considered was whether the parties had been misled. And then the court referred to the fact that the provisions of the suretyship clause and the agreement in general were not of a complex or intricate nature. They further noted that there was nothing inconspicuous about the clause. Um, they remarked it wasn't in a very small font or hidden at the back of the page. Um, they further said that there was no pressure exerted on the applicants to sign the agreement. Um, they had even been provided the opportunity to take the agreement home. Um, and as such, the court ultimately held that there was no indication that the applicants were misled and consequently that they should not be held bound by the suretyship agreement. Okay. So what do we learn from this? Uh, what advice can you maybe give to a creditor who uh, needs to get a suretyship signed? 
So this case makes it very clear that when you sign an agreement and the terms of that agreement are sufficiently clear, you will be held to have read and understood the terms of, irrespective of whether you have actually read and understood it. Um, another point that was made in this judgment is that a suretyship agreement does not have to be its own separate document. It can actually be embodied in the principal agreement. So the best advice to give to people is to read your agreement. If you're going to sign an agreement, you should read it. Even if you are signing it on behalf of a business, and actually in light of this business, uh, this judgment, especially if you're signing it on behalf of a business. Um, as you previously mentioned, it is common practice for credit providers who are contracting with businesses to require the representatives of the business to sign surety, because this is the only way to hold the representatives of a of a business personally liable should the business fail to satisfy its debts. So ultimately, you should make sure that you read every clause of an agreement before signing it. Make sure that you properly understand what those clauses mean and what the legal effects thereof will be. And if you don't understand it, consult an attorney before signing the agreement. I can actually recall when I was at university, which was uh, uh, quite a few years uh, longer ago than uh, when you were there, uh, the class that we started uh, on, on suretyships and the law related to suretyships, the, the um, guy told us, the lecturer told us, it's actually quite simple. All you need to know about the law of suretyships is never sign a suretyship. But obviously, <laughs> reality uh, dictates otherwise, commercial uh, requirements often uh, force people to sign as uh, sureties, and then obviously you need to make sure that you understand the consequences thereof. As we explained before, that you will be held uh, personally liable for the debt if the main debtor fails to pay. Um, I guess, uh, Alicia, even though the creditor in this case won the matter and it was found that there was no misrepresentation, etc., it can't do to harm as a creditor to play it safe and, for example, where the surety signs the document also to indicate clearly uh, at that space in the contract that he's also signing as a surety and, and binding himself as a surety so that there can be no argument of a misrepresentation. Yes, I believe that would be good advice to creditors um, because as you alluded to, there's generally no obligation on a contracting party to bring clauses to the attention of the other party if they are general clauses. Um, but in the case of surety, and because parties often rely on the defense of Eustace error, which is to say I was misled into entering this agreement, it would be best to clearly identify the suretyship agreement, both in writing in the agreement it might be good to give it a heading, underline it, bold it, make sure it is identified as a suretyship clause, and also verbally in, inform the person that this agreement contains a suretyship clause. Okay, makes sense. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.